Thank you, Jacob. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Kurt Parker. I'll be in the Word today. We're going to continue around for fellowship, and they gathered around and sang, and then they ministered to one another through the Word of God. That's what we'll do now. It's fun to hear all the little ones leave. I thank the Lord for that. And good morning to you, and uh, it's good to be back uh, with you. Welcome students, welcome first-timers. If it's your first time today, student, your first time, thank you for being part of that worship of Jesus, our Savior, our soon-coming King. We're glad that we could join voices with you. If we could minister to you in some way, if you have a question about the ministry or the Word of God, and you can use that QR code right in front of you. You can contact us that way, or myself, or one of the staff. We'd love to talk with you and minister to you. If you allow us to, it'd be a joy to know you. We're going to spend some time in the Word today, as is our habit, and then close out the service with communion. So I encourage you to begin to examine your own hearts today, as it is our habit to do as we come before the table, to desire the benefit that's proffered there, which is communion with the Lord. We desire to come then circumspectly to the table. We're in the middle of a verse-by-verse study through the pastoral letters. Last week, we finished chapter, uh, in chapter 3, verse 2 of 1 Timothy where we've been examining the qualifications that Paul lays out for the church, for those who lead it. And we've been looking at a single office, and that's appropriate because that's where we are in the text. Now, today, though, what I want to do just for a brief time, because it's a little shorter sermon today, I think um, I'd like to take a look at a couple supplemental passages, ones I wanted to get to last week. I think we'll help round out our understanding of the organization of the church and uh, what we're studying and how that all fits together. Right now, our focus has been on leadership in the church, and this is going to take in, these passages will take in leadership. It's going to take in uh, your position as well and how the Lord calls all of those positions and orders them as He sees fit. So I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, First Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to pick up in verse 28, and we're going to read through verse 31, and then we're going to be in Ephesians for a little while too. So those will be our two places where we'll illustrate, help us understand what we've been studying. So I'm going to pick up in verse 28. You can find a Bible around you. Open your app, uh, you version, whatever is good for you. Verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Verse 29, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? Verse 30, All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Verse 31, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you still a more excellent way. Let's stop right there. Now, you may remember this passage we studied many years ago. If you've been with us for a long time, we went through these two Corinthian letters. And here in chapter 12, Paul is addressing gifts of the Spirit. He's going to move into chapter 13 and 14 and do more of that. We won't look at those today. But back in in verses 4 through 7, look back, if you would, just a little bit in chapter 12. He talks about gifts, and he says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. Verse 6, there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. Verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, Lord equips believers in different ways, obviously, and the passage here declares that. He, he, that equipping gets exercised in different ministries, in different places, and those different spiritual gifts and different ministries have different outcomes. I think it's just obvious from the passage that's the intent, but all of that is according to God's plan and according to His good pleasure. You don't always know what God's desiring to accomplish, uh, but whatever it is, He desires to be at work 
uh, because he has equipped every believer and called every believer to serve him for his own glory and for his good pleasure. All of it is given for the common good of the church, not just leadership. We've been focusing on leadership. I think it's important, though, to understand that in the grand scheme of things and in the importance of all that, uh, this is called the foolishness of preaching. You, however, have been equipped to build and to grow and to connect the church. And so you're going to see a very, very important part that you play. And it really sets the stage for verse 28. So look back there, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, the miracles, gifts of healing, helps of ministrations, and various kinds of tongues. And we're going to start by looking at this. It says God has appointed this. at Theo. He's fixed it. He has established it. Again, the sovereignty of God is really highlighted here. Even in leadership, we saw the sovereignty of God calling those individuals. We see the sovereignty of God uh, pointing all these things, carried along by the Holy Spirit, uh, eris, middle indicative. So eris tense, this action occurred at some point in the past. God has appointed this. A middle voice, God's done it and is participating in the outcome of it. And then indicative, this is the mood of reality. Verse 6, we just read just a second ago, God who works all things in all persons. This is God's appointing. At a time in the past, God established what it was in, it needed for the church, and he's currently involved in that activity. Now look back at verse 11, if you would. Same passage in chapter 12. But one of the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually. Here it is, just as He wills. So God's at work. He's sovereignly at work, and He distributes gifts to people in order for His will to be accomplished. Various gifts, as we just saw. Various ministries. Various effects. It's the one God who gives them all. And the principle is that God deals with us as individuals. Now, over the course of the last several weeks, we've looked at the individuals who lead the church. We've looked at some of the qualifications that's required. And God is accomplishing those things. The individual has to come and be obedient and come up under that. The church is to look and see and, and, be and see he's qualified. We're going to see many of these types of things at work, God's sovereignty and all of that, amongst the individuals who are attending. Now, look at verse 18, if you would. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desires. And this is what we pointed out earlier. So he's done it because he has equipped everyone. He does it for his own glory and for his own good pleasure. And he wants to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And he's established it already and, and fixed it in place. He's appointed it. It's very, very important to know then that next principle we're going to see if you're a note taker on the back of your bulletin. God is directly and actively involved in fashioning Christ's body, the church. Not only is he directly involved in placing leadership over it, he's directly involved in all parts of it and with the same types of language, and that's important for us to understand. Now look at verse 24. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked... So that there, verse 25, may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So not only is God dealing with individuals and actively fashioning Christ's body, the church, God wants to make sure that we know that every person using the gifts he's given is valuable and imperative for the health of the church. And we're just going to see that more enforced in just a moment. Every person God's placed in the body of Christ is imperative for the work that he wants to do. And so then our passage for today, when Paul says in verse 28, God has appointed, God has fixed in the church, we put together our current study along with this illustration that we see here, there's an important principle we'll see. 
what God has established in the past and it has evolved in now, that's the current reality of the church. God isn't guessing. He hasn't left it up to our options any more than it's our option for those who are in leadership to pick and choose what we want and what we don't want to do. It's not optional. It's not optional to take the Word of God and use some of it, not use some of it. And it's not optional for how He's laid out the gifts in the church. And so it's an important focus, though, on the words God has established in the past and is involved now in the church. It very often refers to the local body. Obviously, it certainly is taking in this local body in Corinth, and it goes right on down to Berean and every other local body of of believers who follow what the Word of God says. And so God has appointed in the church, and Paul proceeds to list some of the parts of the body of Christ. And this connects us even further with our passage in 1 Timothy 3. So verse, back to verse 28, he says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. He says, Then miracles, gifts of healing, helps administrations, and various kinds of tongues. So our next principle, because this is so specific, is that just like the pastorate, people don't choose these gifts. It's like I told you before, nobody can tell the pastor, you know, a guidance counselor, you know, you look like you'd be a good pastor, you should do it. That's not the way that that works. And Nobody's saying, well, you look like you perhaps have the gift or whatever. You should have that gift. You should desire that gift. Listen, the Lord's already established what the gifts are. He's, he's arranged it in an orderly fashion in the church, and he does that for his own glory. He's appointed them for his own glory. And just like the calling we saw in 1 Timothy 3.1, just like the appointing of spiritual gifts for the common good in the church, which we just read, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7, God is responsible for all of it. And it's ordered according to his foreestablished plan. Paul says, then as he comes in and he begins to name off those who lead the church, he says first, second, and third, and then he stops numbering. And I don't think we can press the order as if it's exhaustive for the offices, though in general, there are some instructions here as far as how they rank. It just appears that he's listing some offices that would express some gifts, and then he moves on and just expresses the gifts themselves. And so, you got that structure right there. Now hold your finger here and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. That's our second illustration. And we're going to be in Ephesians for a few minutes. And we'll get some clarity by looking at another passage from Paul where he, he, he is going to use much of the same language. Verse 11 says, He gave some as apostles and some as prophets. So both of these the same as the list that we just read from 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Those who are leading the church. And then, he, and then we get this one. And some evangelists. So that one is excluded from... 1 Timothy or 1 Corinthians 12, but it's here in Ephesians 4.11. And that's the word that describes the office of one who brings good tidings, which in the New Testament was a person who was not an apostle, but went around proclaiming the gospel. In Acts chapter 21, we have record of Paul. He's sailing for Miletus, and he's going to make several stops, and one of them is going to be in Caesarea. And in Acts chapter 21 and verse 8, uh, Paul says this, on the next, uh, Luke says this about Paul, he says, on the next day we left and came to Caesarea and entering the house of Philip, catch this, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. So Philip, it says, was one of the seven. Who's one of the seven? Well, those are the men chosen in Acts 6 as servants to the church. They're precursors of the office of deacon. And they were appointed by the congregation because of their good reputation and because they were full of the spirit and they had wisdom. And so we find out here that along with having a good reputation, uh, Philip was also filled with the Spirit, Spirit-controlled, and had wisdom, and Philip was also an evangelist, so he was always inviting people to profess faith in Christ. Now, 
as you think about that, as you think about Jacob's prayer and about our, our desire to be uh, those who witness of the gospel, you realize that's the job in very real sense of every believer because you have the great commission over you. It's not something you can reject or accept. It's what you submit to because it's your job and my job to be an evangelist. But some receive this as a special empowerment, a special gift. And the elder is told to do the work of the evangelist. If you, if you remember that, in Second Timothy 4, 5, Paul reminds Timothy, he says to him, he says, but you, Timothy, be sober in all things, endure hardship, then catch this, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Timothy now, serving as an elder in the church, doesn't appear to have the gift of evangelism, but Paul reminds him to what? Do the work anyway. It's part of what you have to do. Every believer has that responsibility. Those who, those who lead the church, if they don't have that gift of evangelism, do the work of an evangelist. Then Paul continues in Ephesians 4.11 to illustrate for us. He says, he gave some as pastors and teachers, and uh, we don't have pastors listed in 1 Corinthians 12.28, but we have teachers. Uh, but Paul says all these gifts, these offices, this equipping are given, verse 12, look there, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man and to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, he doesn't mention any other gift at the beginning, but he says that he gives some as pastors and some as teachers and some as evangelists, and they're supposed to do a job. What's the job? To equip the saints for works of service. They're supposed to build up the body of Christ. How do they do that? They use the Word of God and they explain the intent of the Word of God, what it says, what it means by what it says, how that applies, and that is supposed to produce the fruit of equipping and building until then it takes in the whole church. We all attain to the unity of faith. That means we understand the basic foundation of who we are in Christ and what we're supposed to do, and the knowledge of the Son of God, so that is always foremost, the worship of Jesus, His attributes, what He's done, the foundational work that He did in the, in the laying of the cornerstone of the church to a mature man, the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The desire is the church comes and becomes a reprint of what, who Christ is, and it happens through the teaching of those who are in authority. And then He says in verse 16, and this is where it focuses away from the leadership and then on to you. From whom the whole body, who's he talking to now? That's everybody now. Being fitted and held together by what? Here it is, every joint supply. So now he's shifting to a body illustration. And the way the body, the ligaments, and all of the things that connect the body together, those things represent individuals in the church. And they provide what's needed for the body to work correctly. According, it says, to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So everyone is involved in the ministry of the kingdom. And again, I say to you that you are more involved in the building of the church and the building of the kingdom even than I am. I've shared this with you before in, in 30 years of ministry in three churches. Uh, many times the question gets asked in the interview process, what are you bringing to the table that will help us build the church? Well, I'm glad you asked because Ephesians has a lot to say about a church model. I'm supposed to bring the equipping and you're supposed to do the building. And if you don't understand that, then you don't understand the basic foundation of how the church is supposed to work. I bring the word to you. You hear the word, put it to work in your life. You go out and all these joints and ligaments, all, they all provide the stability by which the church goes and has a great testimony in the community and the church begins to grow both by conversions and by the church maturing. 
My prayer always for you is that you'll grow in depth. Because when you grow in depth, then we grow in breadth. As, long, as you become more mature in the faith and you take hold of the, the duties you have as a believer to share your faith and be mature and have no blemish before the outside world, you'll see the church expand. That's the way the church has always grown. It doesn't grow on, on uh, really great programs and you, know, you find some new thing you're going to do. That's not going to change the basic requirements from Ephesians, which is the church coming up under the teaching of the Word of God and then putting that on and growing and then building itself up and belonging to the fullness of Christ and build itself up in love for the growth of the body. So the gifts and the working for the common good are implied by Paul as the proper functioning of a healthy church. The gifts are involved. He doesn't name them here, but he names them in 1 Corinthians 12. And he says these are imperative for the proper functioning of the church. You each have been gifted by the Holy Spirit on salvation to provide some need to the church that the ministry might be full, that every joint and ligament and all of that will provide the correct stability for the church to grow. So you all have that. You see how it's bringing you in. It's not what's going on here. If nothing's going on there, then nothing's going on. Okay? Now, it's an important parallel passage, I think. It shows that Paul sometimes just mentions the gift. Sometimes he just mentions uh, the position. But it's understandable, I think, either way. Now, back to 1 Corinthians 12, 28. So he says this. And let's get into this passage. He says, first apostles. And I think numbers are important here because the apostles were first who began to establish the church. So he says first, and, and the word refers to the official office and the accompanying gifts of signs and wonders uh, to confirm the message and the messenger. If you've been here any length of time and you were here for this study, uh, you know that we went through all of that. I'll give you just an overview, but you'll have to go back to the big study. Otherwise, we'll spend all of our time with all of that. But this would be the 12 disciples chosen by Jesus uh, those that had been with him, in addition to Mattathias, for, for Judas. And then Paul was added to that number because he also was an apostle to the Gentiles. He too saw Jesus and was chosen by him. And we've seen all that history. But this is a unique position given to the church with the temporary sign gifts that did not continue. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, in case you're unsure about that, is another place where we can understand it. And so Paul is talking to the church and he talks about their positions and he talks about what they're supposed to be accomplishing. And he says to them, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. So in other words, you've been redeemed. You're not outside of the fellowship of Christ. You're inside it now and are of God's household. Again, using a building structure type of illustration to exemplify how it's supposed to work. Verse 20, having been built on the Marcus foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So again, Paul is talking about the church, and by implication, he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit being worked into the building, built on a foundation of the apostles' work, and the prophets' work, and Christ is the cornerstone. Now, let's break that down a little bit. That foundation is an important word. Epoikodomeo. It's a compound verb. It's interesting that we use, he uses it here, but it helps us clarify what he's talking about, especially in today's environment in the church. It's, um, it's referring to, uh, epi is, is before, I should say that, oikodomeo is to build, before build, to build in advance. Air is passive, so it was done in a time before the current time. 
The Lord has done it. He appointed these men, and they did a job to lay the foundation of the church, built on, it said, the cornerstone of Jesus' work on the cross and of the resurrection. And so those who come after build on that. So the language does not allow us to say, and this is important to point out, oh, the apostles and the prophets are still doing their foundational work today any more than it would be appropriate to say Jesus has to come back and continue to lay the cornerstone of his death and his resurrection over and over again. You see, both of those things came before, established by the Lord as the foundation on which the church is now built. And Jesus' work and that of the apostles and prophets is antecedent to what's going on now. What's going on now is the movement towards pastors and teachers, right? And so we see the foundation. And the apostles give this authoritative teaching that established the church and gave her the doctrine that she needed before the New Testament was complete. So this first word, apostles, is a unique position given to the church with a temporary sign gift that did not continue. And to look at the book of Acts, beloved, and to say, as you look at that, and and this is very common today, that what went on there by way of the apostles' function is a model for the modern church is to misconstrue the intent of the book and miss the clear intentional language of the current uh, books that we're looking at now. The word apostle means messenger, obviously one who is sent, and, and in a sense, there is this general application of the word to every believer. You're all sent to do a job. But the clear teaching in the New Testament indicates that those who laid the foundation of the church were individuals that were qualified, like we said before. And then he goes, second, prophets. Now, because Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 indicates that they're also foundational for what's going on to the church now, we can see this particular office and the accompanying gifts also are temporary for the time of the laying of the foundation. It occurred in the past. We've moved past it. And this is a spirit-empowered gift of speaking forth. We've talked about this before. There were some who spoke forth what was already said. There were some who foretold what hadn't happened yet. And both of those things were in the church, in the early church. A spirit-inspired speech for edification, exhortation, consolation. So it appears to be, as we've looked at before, that there were men who were functioning in the church before the completion of the New Testament, who proclaimed what the apostles were saying, as we saw in 1 Corinthians 14.32, very clearly, and that there was some accountability on what was being said. So they had to say what the apostles were saying. And they also provided direct revelation from God, Acts 11, verses 27 through 28 tell us. So that tells us a little bit about the foundational nature of their uh, work inside the church, of that office. It's a speaking gift, uh, men who helped the church until it was established. It doesn't appear today because there's no special revelation now, and and the the Word of God is complete. It was part of the foundation of the church we saw a moment ago. Now, the next thing we see is, we see there were, first he gave apostles, then prophets, and then third, teachers. Now, this is the gift of the ability to teach the Word of God and help hearers understand the Scriptures as the author intended. It's a permanent edifying gift. And because the apostles and prophets were foundational, they have begun to move out of the picture. And that makes sense to us, does it not? I mean, they began to die off, and what do we see the emphasis become as we move later into the New Testament? The emphasis is off the apostles, it's off the sign gifts, it's into the pastors and teachers who are going to lead and, and teach what was given to them. And we saw that very clearly last time. And this is the function represented here by the office of teacher. It's what's referred to, as we finished last week, as apt to teach. That last qualification we finished with last week. 
but it could include anyone who has that gift. And again, as we see the qualifications for those who lead the church, we understand that each person has, in a very real sense, an obligation to be teaching. There are uh, us to be teachers in the informal life of the church, uh, sharing truth within our influence, uh, but not all of us have been called to the office of teacher. But that's certainly true in the passage I said I prayed over you last week, Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. What's the next word? Teaching and admonishing one another. See, So you have an obligation in your sphere of influence as you let the word dwell in you richly, you begin to let that come out of you and you build into other people. And if you're ready, people will come to you and you'll be able to give them sound counsel because you, the word is, you're full of the word. And so you can teach. And those who do that certainly are gifted by the Lord. And it's all for, again, the common good, right? Different gifts and different ministries and different outcomes, all for the common good. And you see all these things mixed in. Paul lays out the functions of the church. And then verse 28, he says, God has appointed then in the church, he says, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then this, then miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Now, from this point, Paul speaks about the gifts rather than the people who exercise them. And I would refer you in this particular section back to our original study on these from part 9. Uh, and following in that series. If you'd like a background on permanent edifying gifts and the temporary signed gifts, we also cover it if you're interested in the Be the Church class. If you're interested in coming into membership, we're going to cover a lot of these things that we believe and teach and are, are, uh, come from the Word of God. And we break that down very, very clearly uh, about speaking gifts and serving gifts and the temporary or permanent nature of them. And so we won't go over that here because that requires a lot of background. You have to see when those things occurred, why they occurred. Because uh, we've laid that foundation already. And I think Paul's point here, though, is, is that the ma- there's an amazing amount of diversity that was and still is part of the life of the church. And, and each gift in the Corinthian church and each permanent edifying gift today, though similar in definition, is found in a wonderful diversity of ministries and outcomes. And it's imperative for, as we saw both in the body illustration and in the building illustration, that not just... I come under the qualifications of the leader, but you come up under the requirements of those who love the Lord. And and then he says this, look at verse 29. Paul wants to recognize God's sovereignty in all this diversity, so he says, all are not apostles, are they? And what's the answer to that? It's, It's rhetorical. No, of course they're not. In fact, it was a very small subset of all the disciples of Jesus that actually were qualified to be apostles a very small group that didn't pass on to anyone. All are not prophets, are they? What's the answer to that? No, of course they're not. And for the same reason. It's an early sign gift type of ministry that had direct revelation from the Lord. It was foundational, as we saw back in Ephesians. And so it doesn't continue today because we're building on that foundation. All are not teachers, are they? And what's the answer to that? Of course they're not, right? It's the ones who are called by the Lord. Just like he's always called those who led, he still calls them now, and that's just a few. It's not something that your guidance counselor can say, you look like you should be a pastor, you should do it, right? Any more than you look like a prophet, be a prophet, or an apostle, be an apostle. See, so no, all are not teachers. All are not workers of miracles, are they? No. In fact, that was a very few people. What's a sign gift? It's a sign, actual physical sign, pointing to something we need to pay attention to. The sign wasn't the important thing. It was the message. In fact, Jesus had to remind them as he's teaching, if you don't believe what I'm saying, think about what I did and let that verify what I'm saying is true. 
We've switched it all around. We think now in the charismatic church that we should be having sign gifts everywhere, right? Because that's a sign of spirituality. That is not what sign gifts were ever used for, and they're not used for that now. So do all have workers of miracles? Of course not. Do they all have gifts of healing? No, they don't. In fact, as you look at the New Testament, as you look at leadership, as it moves along and begins to transfer to that of pastor-teacher, think about some of the comments. When you move into Ephesians and in Galatians, and you see, you see the gifts of the Spirit, you see fruit of the Spirit, but you don't see any sign gifts mentioned. And by the way, you'll also be healing people and, and you'll be um, speaking in tongues. You don't see any of that. In fact, when Timothy is sick, does Paul say, hey, go find a healer in the church. He'll lay his hands on you and fix you. No, he doesn't say that. Why? Because that wasn't happening anymore. Because the signs didn't need to be there anymore. They were assigned to unbelief that this is the real thing. And now everybody knew the church was established. There were changed lives. And the church was making a, di a difference. Now we're moving away from that. We're moving away from the signs gifts. And we're moving towards faith, love, and hope. And sound teaching that edifies the church, builds up the church, and plugs people in in places where they can help it to grow. And so these are very important things to remember. And the Apostle Paul himself was afflicted, was he not? So if there were gifts of healing, he could have just gone to somebody. They would have thrown their hands on him. Everything's better now, right? And Paul, as he talks about tongues, he says, I spoke in tongues more than all of you. Did you know that we don't even have any record of Paul speaking in tongues? That we have to suppose that he probably did it in the synagogue when he traveled from place to place so he could communicate well with the people who were there? So this is a very, these are very important, very basic principles and easy to understand in the Word of God. But we switched all this around now. So as we think about leadership, as we think about what the Lord is actually doing in the church, it's important to make this clear. Now, he says, do all have gifts of healing? They don't. Do all speak in tongues? Obviously not. Do all interpret? No. And the important principle that's to be inferred here is, if the church was set up like you wanted it, what a mess that would be. Right? I mean, if you think about just uh, very immature Christianity, if, if everybody was an eye or everybody was an ear, everybody was a tongue, everybody was a spectacular gift, what a terrible place that would be and ineffective. And so that's not how it is. And so as we think about this, we think about, you know, you don't have anything to seek for. Why? Because the Lord's already set it up of old. He's already given you the gift. You, you don't have to chase after it. You're not asking the Lord for a gift. We don't see any instructions there. What we do see is you don't have anything to wait for. You don't have any say in the distribution of the gift. God has already set it up just as he's desired. He's put in the place of the church just what she needed in the form of you and me and the people around you. And he's gifted those people with different gifts and different opportunities to exercise them and different ways that it's going to come out in the end. All for his own purpose, all for his own glory, all for to show forth the church is a live and proper picture of Jesus, a reprint of him built up of itself in the word. God has called some of you to be teachers for sure. He's called some of you with the gift of helps because that's still at work today. He's called some of you uh, and giving you the gift of the word of knowledge. In other words, you can take what the word of God says and you can apply that to people's situations and they're encouraged and built up. He has called some of you uh, to the gift of administration. You understand organization and how to help the church do better. He's called some of you with a gift of mercy showing and some with the gift of giving and some of you with the gift of discernment and with some of you with the gift of service. All of us are supposed to do all those things, but he's specially gifted some to do these very well. He's called some of you to the gift of faith. All of us have to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, isn't it? But, all, but some have been specially given this gift of faith where their first reaction is, in all honesty and, 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 and uh, 
fervency, God can do this with firm belief that he can. And it expresses itself in prayer. And, and, and so you are the hands and you're the feet and your eyes and the ears and the internal parts and the unseen parts. And it's all in him and it's all sovereign and it's all done and it's all for the common good. See, Not just those in leadership, but everyone appointed as God has specifically designed it. And then Paul says in verse 31, he says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts and I show you still a most excellent way. Paul says, listen, God's sovereign in all of this. And God, and Paul's saying to the Corinthian church, and certainly some still in the church today, all of you are standing around expanding on how great the showy gifts are. That's what you're waiting for. You want to be spiritual and you want to be shown to be spiritual. And some of you have come out of the charismatic movement and you know the disillusionment that is part of that whole thing. I've never done any of those things. How come? Am I not spiritual enough? No, it's because God's not doing those anymore. Well, who is? Well, I don't know if you want to get in that conversation or not. If the Lord's not doing it, then it's one of those things that we get into 2 Corinthians that says a different spirit and a different Jesus and a different gospel is at work. And some get fooled by imitation gifts. They're not real. Imagining the modern calling of an apostle or a modern calling of a prophet. It's just a failure to understand how the Bible has worked and what that, that uh, model for the church is supposed to be. And sometimes people think the showy gifts are all that's needed. And Paul says this, I've made clear to you that the ones that are the greater ones are the ones you don't see. They're the imperative ones. They're the ones that the church can't function without. So change your thinking. The gifts you think are great are great. And that says earnestly desire, zelote, that's where we get our word for zealous. Earnestly desire the greater gifts. Present active indicative, imperative rather. It's a command from Paul. The implication is saying, stop chasing your pride and your arrogance. Stop, you know, be zealous in your desire for the right kinds of things because God's sovereign and he's given the church what she needs and get your focus off of foolish things and the right things, God's diversity and his unity in Christ's body. And it applies to pastors. Stop longing for offices that no longer exist with their accompanying temporary sign gifts because he's not doing that. That's not what he wants from you. It applies to the church. Stop longing for showy gifts that were only used to verify a message or a messenger. They weren't supposed to somehow indicate how spiritual you were. And so there's no way that could be misused like Pentecostals do today when they say, see, we have to chase after greater gifts because they think the greater gifts are the showy gifts. And it's just the opposite. That whole thing's turned on its head. He took 30 verses to simply correct their evaluation of the definition of what a great gift is. See? It's a wicked and perverse nation that seeks after a sign. That's Jesus' own words. And yet we would think from the way the church is run today that it, that's the spiritual one. See. And so that goes very long, uh, well with uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 12 as Paul moves on into spiritual gifts and how they're applied. He says, so also since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the market edification of the church. And then we're back to that first part of that first word we saw, the building God pre-built the order into the church. And here we see actively building through gifts that edify the church. See, Paul says, focus on what's important. This whole thing of spiritual giftedness is all about. And that's the last half of our building. How, how we're building on the foundation of what was before built. How we do it. Well, you have the gifts, don't you? And it all rides on you because the church is going to grow into this, this reprint of Jesus to the to the level that you begin to plug yourself in. There's ministries we don't do, I say this often, in the church. We don't even know we're supposed to do them because the people who are here that have that gift aren't exercising it. So there's no way we will know that we're supposed to do it. So 
It's really not what's going on here, although there's qualifications that are non-negotiable. It's really what's going on there. But the whole thing is orchestrated by the Lord. It's not up to chance. And so it's a joy to even think about that. And Paul says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. What was the way they were doing it? Well, no unity and no sense of diversity. Everybody wants the same gift. Everyone wants a showy gift. No sense of sovereignty. Not willing to accept God's plan or what he's gifted them to do. Always calling for different gifts, desiring other gifts, uh, claiming other gifts. Paul says, I'm going to show you an excellent way. Unity, diversity, sovereignty, harmony. And then he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way because I'm not done yet. All of those things and all of the building of the church and all the ministry, this whole path of the church, ministering for the common good, is the pathway of love. And he moves into 1 Corinthians 13. It's just a really wonderful unfolding of how God wants the church to look. So God's plan for the church started with Jesus laying the cornerstone. Then the apostles and prophets built the foundation. And now we have teachers, as we looked at other words, pastors, elders, overseers, shepherds who have to be apt to teach, who build on that cornerstone and build on that foundation. And then those who are present in the church, they all have gifts to bring so that the building looks like it's supposed to look, so that the body works like it's supposed to work. And they all have different diversity of gifts, different applications, different outcomes. We don't know what the Lord's doing in any of those ministries. We don't know what the Lord's doing in any church. We just want to make sure that we do what we're supposed to do so He can get glory and build as He wants to build. And so that brings us to our current passage. What is it then that we look for? We understand what the church is supposed to look like and how they're supposed to function. What are we supposed to look for in the moral character of the teacher of the church? Well, a one-woman man, a man who's wineless, we saw, clear-minded, ordering his priorities, ordering his life. When he teaches on that platform, then he is skilled to teach and is teaching because God's given him a life that corresponds with those requirements. Then he has credibility and makes it believable and the church is able to have who they need in the pulpit.